Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness, a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at northwestprime.com and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7-365 for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness and we want you to join us. Let's get this show started. Yeah, we've got a really great show for you today, and my guest is documentary filmmaker Roger King. And Roger, he produced and directed a DJ's dream film, and it's called I Am What I Play. It's available now, and we're going to talk about the film, why you should see this film. And I want to find out from Roger if he will give up the information, which DJ bribed him with a lifetime of free concert tickets to make this project happen. So welcome, Roger. (laughs) Thanks, Lori. Good to be here. How did this come to be? Because these these stories that, that these legendary DJs were telling you that you really artfully captured in this documentary, those kind of stories, you know, you, you kind of hear when you're out with other DJs, it, it, it's kind of shop talk, and you were able to really capture that and, and, a, and, a, and a time capsule that happened when, when they were really at the beginning of rock and roll and radio coming together. They had this access that, that is unprecedented now. How did that interest you and how did that develop into the project that that we have today that is this the documentary i am what i play actually it's funny you say that um about you know sitting around with the djs and hearing them tell the stories because that's kind of where it came out of um i uh as my uh day job i i run a voice talent agency so i rep a lot of people um in the voiceover world to do radio and tv commercials and documentary narrations and that sort of thing um and of course we rep a number of people who either did or still do work in radio and particularly the djs who were a little older um i always loved their stories of sort of the heyday of rock radio um you know the stories were really specific to the medium and to the era and i just started thinking you know someone should uh, get some of these stories on you know paper film um you know because radio obviously has evolved and changed and uh, some you know people would argue not for the better uh, in some cases uh not your radio show of course um but uh <laughs> so I argue I, the other way uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh I just thought you know um you know, let's do something that captures uh, what the profession was like kind of in the in the heyday and um and what radio was like uh, and I immediately kind of uh, narrowed it down to the idea that I would pick four DJs from four different cities uh, in North America. It just seemed like a good way to tell the story rather than other, you know, types of documentaries I've seen uh, where they, you know, cram it with like 50 different personalities and you're trying to keep track of DJs and program directors and stations. And I thought if we could just find four DJs who uh, had interesting lives um, you know, kind of ups and downs personally and professionally, we could put them on screen and, you know, their stories would serve as a way of capturing, um, you know, what uh, being a radio DJ was all about and what it's become, uh, you know, so it's really sort of uh, for anyone who's worked on air, they will see uh, themselves probably in parts or all of these stories. Absolutely. And you, you captured DJs from, from the, 
East Coast to the West Coast, and we'll just go through who those four were. Um, Meg Griffin, still on the air today, um, Charles Lacadera, Dave, David uh, Marsden, and Pat O'Day from Seattle. So everybody here in Seattle is very familiar with Pat O'Day. He's a legend in Seattle. Um, he talked about things that I didn't even know uh, in this documentary that related to Jimi Hendrix. So you're going to hear stories about Jimi Hendrix, things that I didn't even no, and, and I know a lot about Jimi Hendrix, and but, but still there were things that, that were coming up, and, and I'm sure that they were thinking of things, because, you know, your, your mind gets to go on, and you kind of forget things, but then when you start reminiscing, little jewels come out that, 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 that people come up with, and, and you have people like David Marsden, who was there with uh, John and Yoko, and, and he starts, and you can kind of see his eyes light up as he's, as he's kind of remembering, too, as he's telling these stories uh it's it's really fascinating to watch oh thanks i i uh i was pretty confident that uh we would get the stories out of these uh subjects because they are you know radio personalities and are used to talking for a living so it's not like they're shy or uh, they don't know how to put a good story together or uh an interesting uh you know approach uh to interviews um and, you know, so I, I guess I felt in one way I had kind of advantage over other documentary filmmakers who are, you know, interviewing people sometimes who are not used to speaking in public or don't know how to spin a story to make it the most interesting. Uh, so, yeah, there was there was no shortage. Uh, you can imagine we didn't even have room in the film for all the stuff that, you know, each of the four of them kind of told me. And I, but I did go in with a game plan. Uh, you know, there were certain general subjects I wanted to cover and I, I did research the four of them and um, uh, you know I, I'm here in Toronto so David Marsden is here so we had you know the opportunity to sit down and have a couple lunches you know before we ever shot the film um, but with Pat you know we just came out to Seattle and Pat and I had um, communicated uh, over email and I think we had maybe a phone conversation or two but Pat did write a book a long time ago so uh, I was able to read that and obviously came in prepared but uh um, you know, they're, they're great storytellers. So, um, you know, I, I shouldn't take too much credit uh, <laughs> for getting those, uh, those stories out of them. Well, there's, there's a new generation that doesn't even realize what went on before. Um, and, but they're still hooked to that music, to Lennon, to the Beatles, to Led Zeppelin, to Jimi Hendrix, but they weren't even thought of at, at that time. So to hear those stories, I think really gives a, a, a history lesson and, and put so much more to the music that they're listening to now, because music is different. Um, I, I started in radio in the early 80s. Things were just changing. They were just trying to get everybody out of free form. It was going into this new corporate structure, lock the door, not let people in, stick to the playlist and and I was in uh Los Angeles and, and and they were really trying to hold out on on left coast music they were really trying to uh to hold out we had uh, I, I grew up with Wolfman Jack in San Diego and and then later when I was in uh, Los Angeles Rick Dees and so that type of format though was that there was a big struggle going on and and I was really watching that and and I I was taught by a lot of the DJs who grew up in the same era uh, of the 70s, which, which I was too young for, but which was a whole different time. And now it's completely different than, than when I was there in the 80s and 90s. And, and now it's evolved into 
anyone can have a radio show. Um, there's so much music out there. It, it's yeah, that's the um, that's the interesting thing. I mean, I you know, I I didn't want to do just uh, like a nostalgic, uh, hey, weren't the old days great kind of film. Um, you know, I wanted to uh, kind of take the journey from sort of the late. 60s, you know, we don't go back farther than these DJs, but, um, you know, starting with sort of like Sgt. Pepper's to Born in the USA is kind of the freeform period, I would say. Uh, so that early 80s, you talked about when things started to change when you got into radio. Um, but we do go up to present day, you know, uh, in the film, we, these DJs, uh, two of them, well, you mentioned Meg Griffin at the beginning, you know, she's still on Sirius XM and, and David Marsden is doing a streaming show and had been on a station when we shot the film. Um, Charles Lacquadera has now launched an internet radio show, uh, even though he's retired and living in Hawaii. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Pat still does some, some stuff here and there and, you know, and, and appearances and always behind a microphone somehow. So, I mean, they're very, you know, they're still alive and they're very much doing it, but um, I wanted to, you know, cover what has happened in radio. Um, one of the people who does a quick little interview clip in the film describes, uh, you know, the difference between the three-form era and uh, maybe what happened when a radio got more corporate. He says it wasn't a shift, it was a show, you know, and that we kind of cover how it went from a show to a shift. But now, as you say, it's, you know, instead of people saying radio is dead or all these sorts of things, I've, I've shown the film at festivals and special screenings, and I get that question, do I think radio is dead? And I'm saying, well, no, not at all. Look, you know, look what's going on. You know, you have your show on, on the web and there's lots of interesting stuff going on on internet radio and satellite radio. And obviously podcasting is exploding. So if we look at radio as a larger picture than just turning on a, you know, a dial, if you think of it as just audio as broadcasting in general, it's, it's very much alive. And almost, as you said, we've kind of gone back to where the freeform sort of spirit, you know, of radio where people can do a show from their, their kitchen, you know, mm-hmm. they want to. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, and basement, and and there's been all kinds of people who've actually had some very successful shows that way. But it's again capturing the imagination that early DJs were able to do through that creative process. So um, they were able to play the music and build an audience and let their imaginations go with the music and. Now, and, you know, we've done a lot of shows about that, about this here in Seattle, how when I was young and you were young, we had to buy the whole album. And then we would get angry with our parents. We'd lock ourselves in a room. We'd put on the album. And that whole album would just be a journey for us. And now they <laughs> yeah. have these EPs and you can just buy one one song here and one song there. And, and you don't really kind of have that musical journey that that, that, that we had growing up. And, and I really hope that it, it goes back to that because – we discovered so much more music besides maybe that one um, song that maybe we bought the album for, but then we discovered so many other great things, you know, by listening to, to that album. And that's where I, I, I feel like the, the uh, freedom has been taken from the DJ doesn't have that freedom uh, in the corporate radio to kind of go off script that way, but where internet radio or people's podcasts or something can open up people to that imaginative journey again of discovering uh, more music and, and the thoughts behind music and, 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 and taking this experience to a, another level and discovering music that, that you might not have ever heard of, which 
I had found through the uh, documentary, which you kind of got to play DJ yourself by determining what <laughs> music you were putting into this film. Well, it, it's, um, uh, you know, it's funny that I wrote a little piece for um, the blog and on the Facebook page about how when I was in uh, university, um, <clears throat> you know, I was a big Zeppelin fan and then Robert Plant had a solo career and, and uh, this, the station that I listened to, you know, said that coming up next, we're going to have Robert Plant's new song from his brand new album. And I, you know, I was like, Oh, I'm going to have to skip class because I got to hear the song. And that was literally the only way I could hear the song was to stay tuned to that station, you know, at eight 30 or whatever time it was in the morning and they would play it. Um, that is a hilarious foreign concept to someone, you know, who's 20 years old now that right. <laughs> the only one way to access this thing. Um, so the DJs had a lot of power that way to break music and stuff. And they were, they were curators, you know, they, if, if you thought a DJ like Meg in the film, who was really known for kind of breaking the new wave and punk scene in New York, you know, she knew the Ramones and hung out in those clubs and, um, you know, not only played the bands, but went to see them and, and she would report back from, you know, a night out the next day and that sort of thing. Here's the band I saw last night at CBGB's or, um, so the DJs were, were kind of living the experience, uh, and very involved in the music scene, not just kind of standing at distance playing a record that just came in through, um, you know, the mail or something. But uh, so we would look to these voices. They were credible. We felt they had the same music taste as us. Uh, you know, they could open us, uh, open our ears, as you say, to new music. And I think, strangely enough, we need that more today than ever because there's just so much music. There's obviously just way more content out there so many genres and subgenres of music and so we need sort of these curators even if you spent your entire day listening to new music you couldn't get through it all and obviously most of us are you know work and do other things so you need these curators these uh, uh voices who whose opinions you trust to recommend bands and albums and songs and uh, so you know i'd like to see a lot more of it uh, and i think that it'd be great if some of the radio stations cultivated those kind of personalities who can speak intelligently about music. But yeah, in terms of being a DJ for the film, um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, a rock fan from way back. So it was kind of fun to think about the songs we might want to include in the film. Um, you know, I kind of approached it with, you know, not being naive. I know that it's tough to get permission to use certain music. Um, and then of course it's tough to raise the money to pay for it. <laughs> if they do give you permission, we certainly didn't have a huge budget on this thing. I mean, I think we made it look pretty good. Um, uh, but it's, um, you know, we went, we approached, uh, you know, the record companies and the artists representatives more on in the spirit of, Hey, this is what the film was about. These are the DJs who played your music when no one knew who you were. And, you know, and, and, you know, we actually were very uh, pleased with, um, the reception, uh, when we tried to get some well-known songs, most of the time people said yes, uh, and for reasonable prices. Uh, we, turned, we were turned down a couple of times, but for the most part, um, you know, we, we got some of the songs we wanted. So in the film, we have music from the Ramones and David Bowie and Rush um, and the Kinks and, you know, the Sonics from Seattle, of course, and uh, a few other uh, songs you'll recognize for sure. Well, you did a really great job on this film. It's it's about an an hour thirty, but it feels like it's ten minutes because you sit down and you're just captivated from the very beginning, and it just it went so quickly. In fact, I, I had my notepad with me because usually when I pre scheme movies for people who are coming on, you know, I try to jot down notes as I'm I'm going through the film, and mm -hmm. I was 
I, I had to remind myself. I, I was into it, and I thought, I haven't written down one thing. I have just been watching this movie. It was just so oh. captivating. And I that's, thought, no, no, I mean, that's, that's a great compliment. And, you know, I made the film first and foremost for people like you um, who work in the business and who are um, music aficionados and, and have been on air. But it's, I, I really made an effort not to make it one of these insider things. You know, I, I think you can probably agree it's not like yeah, plenty of people have seen the film who have never worked in radio, don't have anything to do with the radio business, and they still love it, too, because, as you said, I mean, there's great stories about Jimi Hendrix and the Beatles, and, um, and you know, every, everybody likes music and is, is interested in, um, you know, the, the stories from the, with these artists and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, I definitely knew that um, or was pretty confident that people like yourself who work in radio or have worked in radio – um, would find it quite compelling because it's it's what they do you know it's what radio people do and it's and it, as the DJs take you through um, what radio was about what it what it's become they take you through the profession um, and you get those kinds of stories but I wanted to make sure the stories were not sort of inside baseball you know talking about ratings and boring number stuff and all that it's it's more of an overview you know of, of um, radio and the personalities and 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 that that freedom and that struggle to be creative on the air when corporate forces may not want you to be. Well, and nobody even likes to talk about ratings, even in the business. <laughs> ratings are kind of always <laughs> usually a downer. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it did remind me of something um, when Charles Lacadero was talking about production meeting that he was in. It took me whoo, way back. And something I, I guess I had blocked out maybe, but uh, he, they were in a production meeting and one of the female uh, uh I guess she was a DJ. She said, why do we always get all the crappy shifts, all the morning shifts? And that same conversation had come up in LA at KHPY radio uh, back when I was there. And I remember sitting there and that conversation coming up and our station manager, he told us, he goes, well, because you girls are used to getting up at that hour. You know, you got to have kids and who gets up with the babies. And, and I guess I blocked that out and I hadn't thought about it until he mentioned that same thing in that and I'm like oh my gosh it was universal at that time you know but uh it was it was one of those things where there there was this sexism going on and it and it was thought that only men could you know uh really you know connect with the audience and, and put out good music and, and you know and, and they a lot of the times were out partying it up with the band uh, when they would come into town but Meg really broke that mold and really I, I think she really talk about breaking the glass ceiling and, and really helped women in radio. And, and, and even Charles, by, by accepting that morning shift, and because it's credit to him of turning that around and making it become a, a phenomenal show and something people were tuning into, just shows that regardless, he was going to be successful, regardless of what time of the air you put him on, because he was going to make something happen. You could put him on the morning and the at midday and in the evening, you could, you know, give him the midnight shift. And regardless, he was going to be successful because he knew how to be creative and connect with the audience. Well, yeah. And that, the story that you were mentioning from the film, when he, when the woman is complaining how she has to get up in the morning and do the morning show, um, and he, he he's doing six o'clock at night, which at the time was was considered a great shift for FM. And so he uh, says, you know, that he tells her that there are no bad shifts on the station. And then she says, well, you do the morning show then. And and so of course the morning show became the prime spot, you know, at a radio station uh, where the the top talent would be, and where most people, where the majority of listeners. Uh, 
you know, would tune in. Um, so yeah, so he kind of, he, he was one of the broadcasters in the U S who was most responsible for changing that perception of the morning show. He, he, um, Howard Stern used to listen to Charles when Howard lived in Boston. And so Charles was kind of an influence that way. He did a lot of crazy stuff in the morning and the morning shows at that time when, when Charles was talking about it, late sixties, early seventies were not the sort of crazy fun morning show thing we think of today. Uh, it was more, you know, laid back and just, Hey, it's, you know, time to get up and all that sort of stuff. So Charles was one of the, the at one point was one of the more higher paid radio personalities in the country. And then, as you say, Meg, um, in the film, we, you know, Meg talks about that, where they wouldn't put two women on, on the radio back to back. So just, I don't know, we can't have too many female voices in a row. And, and she talks about how when they were programming the music, they only wanted one new female artist a week. So like if, you know, um, Carol King had released an album or something or, or, or right. Uh, Pat Benatar Mitchell. was coming that, up. Or, yeah. yeah. Right. That, that would be the, uh, that would be the one record that got into the playlist for the week and that was it for the women. So, so Meg, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, Meg was determined to um, expose, get more bands exposure and, you know, I didn't care if they were female bands or, you know, or guys or whatever, but you know, she was it's about, the about music. the, uh, love of the music. Yeah, exactly. So tell everyone how they can see this movie and, and, and what we can do to help you get this movie out to more people. Well, um, we, uh, what we did was I, I managed to get a distributor in the beginning, which really helped seventh art releasing there in Los Angeles and they're a boutique distributor and they specialize in documentaries. So um, they, um, you know, worked to get it into uh, festivals, which, you know, we premiered the film a couple of years ago and, um, it's played a number of festivals and we did a number of special screenings in various cities in North America. Cause it's the kind of film where you can involve the radio community in that city and do a one night thing and have fun with it. Um, and so now it's, we've come to the time where it's now available online for anyone, wherever they live. Um, and that's more fun for me because, you know, these festivals and screenings are great, but you know, if, if the person doesn't live in that city that on that particular night and, you know, then, then that's, they don't see it. So um, it's available on Vimeo, um, Vimeo online. Uh, I guess the easiest thing to do would be to go to our website, which is I am what I play the movie.com. And uh, right there on the page there, you'll see the link to, um, to download it. But I think you can probably go to Vimeo.com as well and, and uh, type in, I am what I play and find it there. Um, and as you mentioned, of course, Pat O'Day from Seattle is one of the four stars of the movie. Uh, Pat's a great guy. He's had a long career in Seattle, um, done a lot of interesting things. Um, you know, his heyday in radio was at KJR, but he was simultaneously a concert promoter. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, their relationship with Hendrix and all these bands. At one point, Pat, Pat's company, Concerts West, handled the tours for Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, the Eagles, Elvis, um, CCR. I mean, it was it was crazy the number of amazing artists he was dealing with. So he has a ton of stories in the film, and you know we um, we certainly um, hope that um, people who listen to your show, uh, you know, know Pat O'Day. I know he's also like the spokesperson for Shadel Hospital, and mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think you see him in one form or another in the all over uh, the Northwest. Um, see or hear him. Uh, so he, you know, he's one of the four, and, and um, you know we're hoping that uh, Seattle people would find it particularly interesting. And we shot you know one quarter of the film in Seattle too. So. Um, you know, it's for, as we talked about earlier, uh, people in radio, um, they will love it. But, you know, radio fans and, and music fans in general, I think, will, will really respond to it as well. So, yeah, go to Vimeo or I am what I play the movie .com, And that's where you can find it. 
you can stream it or download it. Well, Seattle really is a music city. It has a long music history. We've really covered that from all the way back to to the, the jazz days and, and Jackson Street here in Seattle, all the way up, you know, and through Nirvana and uh, Pearl Jam and, and Hart and, you know, uh, and, and, and where we are today with Macklemore and Ryan Lewis and, and many, many more. But um, th- there's so much talent here. And uh, we have all made the pilgrimage. You all know you have. I've seen you out there to the Jimi Hendrix Memorial out in Renton, and Pat has a wonderful story about how that came to be, and it's it's a fantastic place. Everyone's been there. When people come to visit, they always want to go to the Jimi Hendrix Memorial, so I'm always taking people out there. In fact, I should be charging, and um, it's, it's a fantastic <laughs> place, and Pat really had, I mean, it, it's there because of Pat O'Day, and it's worth, I think it's $4.99 to uh, to download this film, which is an amazing price, uh, because you're getting really, um, it's a priceless uh, history lesson through through music and Seattle music for one thing, but also uh, music throughout the world. And it was it was a fantastic film. I loved every minute of it. I'm going to download it just so I'll have it. And I I've been kind of stalking Roger for the last year or so, wanting him to come on because I was so excited. I sent it out to all my DJ friends, and they're all you know. They're all around the world now. We, you know, a lot of people started out in Los Angeles, and now they're in Omaha and Philadelphia and New York, and some of us are here in uh, Seattle, and some are still in LA. But uh, I sent it to everybody, and everybody was excited about uh, seeing it and and watching it as well. So, but it, but I, I just beg everyone, it's 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 more than 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 a DJ movie. I mean, if you love music, and who does not love music, and if you love movies, it's the two worlds colliding in in a fantastic and and visual way. And it, it, I I couldn't have been more more happy with with a movie, Roger. So thank you for oh, accepting so, my, so my, my, kind, my stalking skills. <laughs> no, no, your stalking was very subtle. Um, I, no, thank you. Those are very kind words. I should take you on the road with me to do the promo. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I appreciate you sharing it. And, and, yeah, I mean, I think all anybody who's worked in radio, as we said earlier, yeah, will really appreciate it. And we tried to make it a film, not just talking heads, you know. So I think there's a lot of fun visuals and uh, good music, as you said. And um, and we made that uh, that pilgrimage to the Hendricks Memorial and, and shot some footage for the film in, in there, too, and to, to accompany Pat's uh, story about when Hendricks died, which is a – is one of the favorite stories uh, that, that you know when I've been at festivals and shown the film at screenings, uh, people always always respond to Pat's uh, Hendra Hendrick stories uh, in particular. Um, so yeah, no, uh, I appreciate you sharing it, and, and anyone uh, who has uh, worked in radio, uh, you know, will uh, will appreciate it for sure among among the music fans and that we talked about earlier. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Roger, for coming on. And we encourage everyone to go watch this film. And we're going to be right back. And we're going to talk about a little bit of the music that that Roger played in the film. So we will be right back. Thanks, Mark. Been down the river, held a pistol in my hand. Been stranded in Missouri, wishing I was dead. I've been shaking, I've been stirred. Call us Jesus, give me the word. Been down so many roads, looking everywhere I go for the Lord. 